This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Have you ever stopped to wonder what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power, all of the above or none at all? I'm Dashan Johan and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. My guest on today's show is Cheryl Bustaman. She's a documentary filmmaker and a writer. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. You wear many hats. Tell me a little bit about these different hats that you wear. Hello and thank you for having me. Well, mostly I think my work is uh, focused on being a producer. So I produce non-fiction content uh, with uh, my company, Fat Bidin, Sendir Amberhat, with my husband, Zan Azli. Uh, we mostly do documentaries centered around conflict at the moment, but we've also been known to do uh, very human interest type stories. Uh, other than that, I also uh, right now manage a grant under the Munash University in Malaysia, which is focused on work in regards to self-migration. So a Nepal-Malaysia corridor. And um, other than that, I also uh, write human interest pieces for a magazine called Calibre, which is under the Public Mutual brand. So let's talk about your ideas of success before we circle back and dive deeper into the work that you do. Um, How do you define success today? Well, growing up uh, in a very Asian household, which I'm sure most Malaysians also grew up in, (laughs) uh, my mother was always uh, defining success as, you know, having a nine-to-five job, a high-profile nine-to-five job, uh, or becoming a doctor, which means that your hours are basically endless, uh, you know, or marrying well, which means also marrying someone with a high-profile nine-to-five job, and then uh, having children. And that was her her ideas of success. And throughout my life, I think I've um, been very disappointing in that element because I <laughs> have basically created my own definitions of success. Right. Uh, didn't uh, I left university halfway to pursue a career in filmmaking, which is why I've been doing uh, production and producing for like the past 10, almost 11 years now. Um, I think the definition of success for me definitely is um, having time for everything uh, that you love and everything that you're passionate about. So like for me, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, but I also want to have this uh, career of my own, uh, which also means that I have to strike a balance between, um, you know, my work and also my household. So while I don't necessarily have a high profile uh, job, I am doing something that I'm very passionate about. I'm doing something that I love. Um, While it doesn't necessarily make a huge impact, it does tell a lot of people's stories, which otherwise might not be able to be brought to the forefront. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I consider that a success. Absolutely. And and I think your work has tremendous impact, um, not just for the communities that you're speaking to, but also, you know, highlighting their voices, um, impacting people who have no idea um, about these stories, right? So I think it is highly impactful. I'm, I'm wondering, Cheryl, how did you break away from your mother's idea of success? I think it stems from the fact that I was just not very good at being uh, conventional. Right. Uh, probably because already, um, so my parents are are both uh, of different races. So I come from an interracial uh, household, which is already um, conventional, but unconventional in Malaysia. Uh, and so in that sense, I kind of grew up a little bit already different. 
And I actually tried really hard to go the conventional way. I did go to university. I tried to to finish up my degree, but it was just something that I had no feeling for. Right. So in being honest with myself, uh, I couldn't just do the generic, you know, you just do it to get it done. I needed to, I realized very quickly that I needed to do things that I had feelings for that I was passionate about. But at the same time, I also needed to make sure that I could monetize from it or at least like live off what I cared about. So I sort of negotiated with my mother to give me a year to try uh, on my own and see if I could make it. So I had already secured a position as a production manager at the time. Right. And so she said, okay, you can try it. And if you can actually like make money and, and, and you know, live off yourself, then uh, you can go ahead and pursue it. So I did that. And then I never really looked back from there. That's fantastic. Why, what about filmmaking, um, you know, interests you? Why did you choose to become a filmmaker? And at that point, you were, you know, like you said, you were in university. Why at that particular point did you decide, okay, no more, I need to uh, drop out essentially or pivot into filmmaking? I actually started filmmaking in university itself. Mm. Uh, at the time, in 2012, Monash uh, University had a program in the School of Arts and Social Sciences called the Filmmaker in Residence Program, where they contracted a filmmaker to be here in the university to mentor undergraduates to create films. So as an undergraduate, what you did was that you submitted a proposal, and then if your proposal was accepted, then you would get to create uh, the film with alongside the filmmaker. La. Right. So I won that program twice. <laughs> And the second time I did, it was to create a documentary. And then I realized that I really enjoyed um, making documentaries because um, number one, it's quite simple in terms of execution because you shoot the subject matter as is. Uh, right. you, don't, you don't need an art department. You don't need a costume department. You don't need actors. You don't need to rehearse. You just need to pick a subject matter or pick a subject and then follow that subject. And then you create the craft the story from there. So I like the type of filmmaking because it's very honest. And mm -hmm. I really, I realized through the process of creating the documentary that I really enjoyed um, telling different stories. Right. At the same time, my uh, lecturer here, uh, Dr. Yosengwan, also took me to the Philippines to be his second camera to shoot his documentary, which is on uh, indigenous peoples in the Philippines, in the mountains of Zagada. And I really enjoyed that process as well. So... As uh, my interest in documentaries grew, my interest in my undergraduate degree depleted. And I started to wonder why I was writing these research papers or why I needed to submit these assignments or why I needed to go to these classes when it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Right. Uh, and of course, at the time, I was very young. I think I was about 21 or 22. So being passionate blindly about what you <laughs> uh, kind of, I guess, also kind of blinded me and I decided, okay, this is this is not working out and I'm going to go and pursue what I want. But even while doing that, I still needed to have a plan. So I couldn't just like quit university and be like, okay, well, we'll see how it goes and if I can make a documentary now. So that's why I decided to to go and get a job first and which is why I interviewed and I managed to get a position as a production manager for a, a production company. And um, then only I took a break from university, but just basically eventually never went back. Um, I didn't straight up start doing documentaries. I feel like I must mention that um, right. the road to, to even my unconventional success was not uh, as straightforward as that. 
um, when I was a production manager, I was actually, um, you know, helping to manage uh, productions that were not of interest to me as well, um, because we were doing work basically for clients. Right. You're not really telling your own stories. And mm -hmm. sometimes it can also get quite corporate. Um, but it's also part of paying your dues. So I did that and I still learned a lot from it. And then later on, I started my own um, online food directory, which uh, was also not exactly documentaries, but uh, also kind of corporate. Right. And only later on in 2018, uh, when I started doing work with uh, Fabidin, did I start going back into documentaries again. And then now also with the work on migration. So it it's a long road, you know, getting to a point where you can feel like, okay, maybe I'm successful now. Right. Uh, and even then, I still feel like I've got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's constantly evolving. La. I think the idea of what is successful to you, not to say that it's not enough, but you are successful at different points of your life differently. Right. Absolutely. How were you during your schooling days, Cheryl? Um, did you what did you get good grades? Did you always wanted to be uh you know in filmmaking, in the filmmaking industry since you were a kid? I'm wondering what were your interests and ambitions back then as well? Uh well, when I was a uh, really small kid, I wanted to be a policewoman because I watched a lot of DVB dramas and <laughs> the DVB dramas make police work look very exciting. Yes. So, like, the also made police work look really exciting. Mm -hmm. But then you realize that it's not actually as exciting as it's made out to be. Uh, but I was always very drawn to storytelling. Right. So um, my siblings, my sisters, my brother, they're all producers. They're in broadcasting. And then my father was also at uh, Radio 4 at a time. Um, but the one thing that really holds us all together is um, that we really enjoy film and we really enjoy storytelling. So we write and um, nobody really produces films except for me, I think. But um, we used to watch films a lot and discuss it, especially my father and I. So telling stories was something that was very constant. So even as a kid, I used to 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 write short stories a lot. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean I was good at it. <laughs> but, you know, it it's uh, storytelling is definitely the core of, of right. my passion. And with documentaries, you tell the stories of people who wouldn't really be able to tell these stories yep. themselves. But even as I've uh, grown over the years, I realized that what I want to do is really cut out the middleman. So I want to be able to use my skills to tell their stories as genuinely as possible. Because I feel that sometimes um, filmmakers, we tend to forget that we are not here to save our subjects, uh, especially if our subjects come from very rural or displaced um, situations. Um, we might get lost in trying to make it all about us. Right. In our journey of telling their story. So I'm actively trying to not do that. And I'm trying to make sure that my documentaries or the, the work that I produce is really about the subjects itself. Let them take the forefront and tell their stories. Grades. My grades were average. La. I wasn't exactly very smart, but I wasn't exactly like, really slow either right i was in an art stream so you know for those of us who remember the art science stream uh stereotypes i was an art stream kid uh but mostly because i wanted to do uh literature in english right very drawn to stories mm -hmm. uh, not because i couldn't get into science stream okay it was like a selective thing <laughs> i mean that's great right because what you know don't you think that 
more people should be making those choices because the stereotypes always that it doesn't matter what you like it's if or oh, smart science stream is for the smart students who can get a lot of A's and then if you can't then you go into arts art stream that's the the stereotype and that's how you know we've been you know we grew up in you know in high school and all of that so don't you think you you made yeah. like a, a really good yeah. decision and more people should be doing that yes because it again plays into that conventional idea of success you right know, that you can only be successful if you are in a field that is a little bit more technical, you know, a field that's a little bit more complicated. Um, but, you know, being in the creative side is also technical and complicated in its own way. And um, I don't think a lot of people conventionally understand that. So, yes, I definitely do encourage more people to make those choices. I'm actually really glad when they abolish the science and art stream, um, you know, system, because then it means that students now can actually choose the subjects that they want to take and then they can have a balance of both you know sure people sometimes tend to see you know when you when you say you're a filmmaker you work in the film industry you're a producer people sometimes tend to tend to only look at the glamorous side like wow you get to um you know work on a film set or you get to you know work with cameras you're doing a cool job you get to speak to a lot of cool and interesting people but what is also the reality of being a filmmaker especially a documentary filmmaker being a producer in malaysia what does it take to sustain and grow as a documentary filmmaker in malaysia I think documentary films are still very new to mm-hmm. Malaysians. Um, a lot of the times, people don't recognize documentary films as films. Right. Because uh, they think, oh, but there's no film set, there's no actor, never come out on TV, never come out in the cinema. So mm-hmm. then how is it really a film? Uh, a lot of the times when I try to explain to my family, my aunties, my mother, what I do, it doesn't really come out right because when they're like, okay, so what do you mean that you're a producer? What exactly do you do? Right. I will then say things like, oh, I make a lot of actual sheets and then I call a lot of people and then I make sure that when we go on shoot, my crew has food and there's enough money for a hotel. And then I'm like, oh, so basically you don't do anything. Lah. <laughs> so it's difficult to explain. And then, you know, I get like a whole surrealism, like, self-identity crisis <laughs> it's like <laughs> um it's very difficult to explain i think when you're a documentary filmmaker mm-hmm. um, especially when you don't work as part of a company again right a generic you know idea of success oh but you don't work for like astro or you don't work mm-hmm. for like a big broadcast company so then how exactly do you make money right the biggest problem for me i think is the fact that uh because my husband and i run the company together um, the reason to why we do that is because we have three children right. being ages and we need to be able to have that flexibility of time. So uh, it's good and bad in the sense that I can work at all hours of the day or mm-hmm. I can work uh, at no hours of the day as long as the work gets done and I get to set my own hours, right? But then to conventional people like my mother, uh, they'll just be like, but you just sit at home every day. <laughs> when do you right. you work? Um, before I got my uh, position here in Monash, I didn't have a physical office because my office was in front of my room. Mm-hmm. And my mother really just believed that I wasn't doing any work at all. <laughs> uh, so I don't really know what you mean when you say, oh, you know, being a producer is so glamorous because I've had none of the glamour. <laughs> 
ever. <laughs> if anything, directors get all the glamour in this country because right, you know, right. the, the directors are the mm-hmm. visionary. But you know, the producers are the ones that get things done. So. Absolutely. So for people who don't understand, right? People may know clue, people like your mother, for example. Mm-hmm. What exactly um is is the is the role of a producer when it comes to filmmaking in general or when you look at it, documentary filmmaking? Would you say that your job is to ensure that the director can just focus on the creative because the management of everything is already being taken care of by you? Yes, and also I think the role of the producer is really to facilitate. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of logistics involved. There's a lot of budgeting involved. There's a lot right. of people involved. Um, not just the director, but also your your crew. You know, mm-hmm. even when you're shooting a documentary, you sometimes need a, a full a full crew. All right. Uh, we've because of our work that's focused predominantly on conflict we deal with a lot of government agencies we've shot a documentary series in the prison which means that we had to work closely with the prisons department so it all falls onto the producer to make sure that all parties are on the same page right so essentially that's what i do i facilitate um you know communications between everyone i am the middle person that everyone goes to if there's a problem i'm supposed to fix it uh, and at the same time, I'm also supposed to be the one in charge of the money. I'm supposed to make sure that we don't overspend or underspend. I'm supposed to make sure that my crew gets fed, even in any circumstances. Even right. In, uh, you know, in a remote town in the middle of nowhere, I still have to go and find the nearest like makan place to make sure that by lunchtime we've got food to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically cater to to everybody's uh, needs. And uh, it's it's really tough because I'm really bad at maths. It's <laughs> <laughs> not great for me, uh, but you know I do my best. And yeah, so that's essentially what producers do. And it might seem like a whole lot of nothing in hindsight, because it's like oh you're just making calls and you know scheduling things, but actually it's, it's a lot. On the show with me today is Cheryl Bustaman, documentary filmmaker and writer. After the break, I ask her. What does it take to sustain yourself as a documentary filmmaker in Malaysia? Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Cheryl Bustaman, documentary filmmaker and writer. So, Cheryl, like you said, um, you know, you, you are also a mother, um, you know, you have three children, you know, you have to worry about them getting to school and, and all sorts of things. And then also make, make ensuring that, you know, there are enough finances and how do you ensure stability in a rather sort of unpredictable um, career path? With a lot of Excel sheets. Right. <laughs> uh, I... It's it's been a struggle. It's mm-hmm. definitely been a struggle. Um, looking at just the four, the last four years itself, which is when I got married and had my children, uh, and also started uh, working independently with my husband. Because before this, I was employed, and then now we own the company together. So if there is no work, there is no salary. Right. And the stakes are very high. Um, it's also it's it's really just a case of managing everybody's expectations. I think um, my children uh, understand that we are at home most of the time. Uh, and then when we are on shoot or we're working, we're not at home for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I also try to schedule my shoots for when it's convenient for my children. So uh, usually when they're away with their grandparents or so on, uh, and then I go and shoot. So I'm also very lucky to have a very good uh, support system. Uh, my in-laws and my mother and uh, are very helpful. Uh, they're very willing to come and take uh, my children whenever I'm gone or whenever it's needed. Um, their godmother, my best friend, uh, is also uh, on standby most of the time. And also their auntie, my cousin, is also on standby all the time. So there's a rotation of people uh, right. when it comes to the childcare part. When it comes to the work part, um, I I personally think I struggled a lot with having any kind of work-life balance because when mm. I was single, um, I just spent a lot of time working. Right. So I would work and then on the weekends I would do nothing or sometimes I would also do work on the weekends. So it really took a lot from my husband actually uh, to set clear boundaries of when I should stop working. Mm. So even before the pandemic, I was already working from home. So I had set certain hours for my work. But it also means that I have to be really quite efficient with it because I might only have like three hours in a day to do my work, right? And then the rest of the time, I've got to, like you said, go buy groceries, go make sure they get to their classes on time. So everything runs on a schedule and everybody has a schedule. And also now that my kids are older, my the older two are 11 and 7, they are capable of following mm. schedule. So it's 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 quite okay. I mean, there are glitches once in a while. But other than that, I would say that everything runs fairly smoothly. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced in your career, especially in the past few years? Mm, it's been really hard to explain to people that I don't work for my husband. Right. So I think the gender element really plays mm. a part here. Whatever we'd like to say about it, the industry, any industry really, um, is still quite male-dominated and sexist in that way. Absolutely. And it's not very different even in the creatives, even though you think that we'd be better, but we are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having to to sort of get out under that shadow has been quite a challenge. Um, not even uh, because my husband isn't trying to do that. Uh, he's always trying to push me at the forefront. Um, I take most of the leads on our projects, you know, uh, but still people will want to pivot to him. You know, they would feel, especially when it comes in terms of working with government sectors, uh, where men are usually in charge, they always tend to pivot towards my husband, even though I am the decision maker. Right. So that has definitely been one of the greatest challenges, mm-hmm. redefining um, my role and sort of it, making a name for myself uh, also in tandem with the work that I do with my husband, that's been very difficult. And I guess also balancing um, motherhood and uh, the work. Because being a documentary filmmaker means that you have to you have to be on set, on location, right? right? Just like being a filmmaker. But this one is like, if you don't shoot it, it's gone lah. Because you can't, you know, it's not something that you can sort of make up. Yep. Um. When I was uh, pregnant, I was going on shoot. That was when we were shooting our prison uh, series. So I was like four or five months pregnant going into the prison, uh, into <laughs> in jail cells. Um, and, you know, at the same time, there were my two kids at home. Uh, and then when I gave birth, I finished my confinement and then I straight away had to get back into work again. Uh, that was really difficult for me as a woman because I was also uh, breastfeeding exclusively. 
which means having to pump on the go and mm-hmm. plan out your pumping. So a lot of rearranging. La, and which I guess for me, it's lucky that I'm a producer because that memang is my job. So it was just doing it on a more intense scale. But also because like you said, I wear many hats. I have to make sure that uh, I hit all my deadlines. Right. And sometimes all the deadlines are at once. So making sure that I'm on top of everything is also quite a big challenge. So, then, yeah. so I'm wondering what keeps you going? Uh, what keeps you pushing in this industry, um, doing what you do, um, despite all these challenges? Um, and also, you know, why in this past few years, have there been moments where you thought, okay, it's probably going to be easier if I just drop this and, and go back, you know, working for someone else um, in, a, in a more stable um, industry, in a, you know, in a, either in a bigger sort of a production company. Um, have you had these sort of thoughts? Yes, multiple times. Uh, but I think it's just in my personality to be a little bit restless. Right. Uh, I'm always in pursuit of something some sort of excellence that I guess is unattainable, but it's also one of the reasons to why I can constantly grow and evolve. Mm. But I don't really enjoy doing the same thing every day, which is probably why I won't survive in a nine-to-five job. (laughs) And being a documentary filmmaker is exactly the opposite of that. You know, while yes, you're creating documentaries and that is your job, every single documentary is different. And every single um production will be different you know because every single story is different and I enjoy the different challenges that come with that you know like um, what what does this shoot specifically need what do I need to get for this specific thing uh, how am I going to to structure this uh, there are some productions where I also direct and produce at the same time right so um, it's interesting for me how everything blends together and I think that it's uh, important that the support systems on all sides, not just at home, but also at work. Uh, the crew that I work with are the same guys that I've been working for with for the past uh, four years. And uh, I trust them uh, with the technical stuff. And I know that I can trust them to make decisions uh, for me technically in terms of shots and stuff like that. So it's um, really a lot that helps me sort of be able to push forward without any worry la, and concern. I'm going to ask a, a very sort of basic question, um, but I think it is on many people's minds, um, especially perhaps listeners who may be interested in in pursuing this this path that you are on, right? And and that question is, how do you make money, uh, Cheryl? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, if you're a younger listener and you're still doing your undergraduate degree and you're like, okay, Cheryl says you should leave because she attained success, I, I'm firstly going to tell you, just go and finish your degree first. And you'll do whatever you want. Because later on in your life, you might want to do other things that would require these qualifications and then you would be stuck. La. So uh, how do I make money? Uh? I think we make a lot of um, collaborations with a lot of people. Um, we also apply for a lot of grants. So it's really, uh, we work really hard to sell uh, our stories mm. um, to people that we feel might be interested. But at the same time, we're also open to collaboration with other agencies that sometimes might be um, interested in creating the work that we do, but not necessarily have the capacity to do so. So it's really also about 
um, making connections and um, also being able to to do the work lah. Right. So as long as you create, you know, good good stories and you 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 sell it to the right people, uh, then you should be able to to stay afloat lah. Stay afloat ah, not not get rich. Okay, not <laughs> gonna get rich doing. So with that in mind, how do you measure growth? And I'm wondering, does money or revenue factor into the way you measure growth? Well, obviously, being realistic, money is important, lah. Because mm-hmm. I've got three kids, only me and my husband, mm-hmm. so we 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 need money, lah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I think my measure of growth is definitely the scale of the projects that I do. Mm. Um, looking back in the last ten years, they've only ever grown. Um, sure, I'll do one or two like side projects, but it's never a reverting of this is all that I'm doing now. So right. projects have always only expanded in scale, um, which is both terrifying but also exciting to me. Um, revenue is definitely something that uh my husband thinks about because he's the finance side of the right. um but we usually try to make sure that we make enough lah. Mm. it's never been a case of wow we've got so much money we're rich now but we've always managed to make enough to you know pay both our salaries uh support both our kids and then maybe have a little bit extra to like go jalan at the end of the year and stuff like that so we're comfortable and i think that's um, that's not my measure of growth. I know it's it's it is for a lot of people, and I'm not saying that it's not important. But I wouldn't really want to make a lot of money creating content that I don't agree with, or creating mm-hmm. content that I feel nothing about. So while it is very lucrative, it's not something that I I personally can do lah. Yeah, yeah. My measure of growth is definitely um the scale of the projects and the subject matter that I that I am dealing with. So it gets more and more exciting every time. What are some subject matters that mm-hmm. you have, you know, it's would you that you would consider sort of dream projects, either su- subject matters or or just issues that that you like to pursue? I really really want to do <clears throat> more work on women. Mm-hmm. Uh specifically on uh step parents as well. That one is regardless of gender, but I would like to showcase um more everyday struggles of women. Right. Um, the thing I notice about Malaysia specifically is that we like to talk about issues on a very large scale. Right. We talk about feminism, we talk about terrorism, we talk about racism, um, all from a banner subject. Mm. We talk about statistics, we talk about communities as a blanket, like when we talk about statelessness, but we never really look at one specific story or one specific community, we never go to these communities to discuss how they're really affected by this. So, for example, one of the documentaries that we just completed um, that was directed by Hadi Azmi, the journalist who is now famous, is about uh, the Kelantan-Patani conflict. It's been going on for so many years. And all we ever hear is the statistics about how many people were bombed or how many people were kidnapped, uh, these insurgents and that insurgents. So Hadi, Zan, and I, with our crew, we went to Kelantan uh, almost two years ago now, 2021, I think. And we went to the communities that live at the border, you know, in Punohan and so on. And we spoke to them uh, to ask them how they really are affected by this, you know. 
uh, and how they feel about it. Uh, do they really feel that these people are insurgents, so on and so forth? And what we discovered was very different from what is being portrayed uh, out there in the mainstream media, if at all, because the mainstream media doesn't really cover this much. Right. So that's the kind of work that I really want to do, uh, but get more towards women. I want to look at, um, for example, microaggressions um, in the workplace, sexism, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I definitely face a lot of it, even as a producer that doesn't work in a generic workplace. So uh, one of the things I would really like to do is prove that microaggressions and sexism exist in all workplaces. So I would like to speak to women from all occupations, like mm -hmm. from your machi cleaner all the way to your female CEO, uh, to talk about the kind of microaggressions that they face. Because I'm very confident that what we'll find is that it's actually all the same. Yep. Yeah, so that's definitely something I want to work on. Um, I want to work on stories about women who are mothers, uh, but not necessarily from a very feelings type of uh perspective but just to humanize the mothers uh, because I realized after becoming a mother myself that we tend to be dehumanized a lot uh, in a sense that we're just reduced to our roles mm -hmm. uh, so I would like to feature mothers more as people uh, but also include that aspect of motherhood because right now it feels like for women you can only be one or the other or you have to be everything on a very general scale Yep, which isn't very human in a sense, because even for men, you know, you play many different roles, right? Dashun, I'm sure you're also a son. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're also a partner. I'm mm -hmm. sure you're also a friend. But, you know, it's okay for you to be all those things and people will never put you into one specific box. But that doesn't happen for women. We are either like, you know, a superwoman where supposedly we do everything or we are one specific thing. But actually, no lah. We're actually quite normal also, you know. We can Absolutely. be... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that would be a dream project. Lah. But unfortunately, nobody wants to give me money for that or has money <laughs> for that. So, well, so anybody, anybody listening would like to yeah. you know, give money <laughs> to, Cheryl. <laughs> to Cheryl to do Not this project. Yeah, I hope you get to, to tell these stories because I, I do think more and more people need to be exposed to these realities. Before we wrap this conversation up, Cheryl, just one last question. What does it feel like doing something that you love? It feels great. It's very, it's it's so cliche to say that it feels great and I wake up every day doing what I love. <laughs> um, even on the worst days, uh, there are days when I, like you said, right, do you ever consider just like quitting or whatever? Yes. Mm -hmm. There are days when, um, you know, maybe clients are being difficult or we're not getting enough projects and we're looking at projections and we're worried. And I will say things like, maybe I should just uh, stop. And I should just stay at home and, you know, work on the kids and, 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 you know, take care of the kids. And then, you know, my husband can go and be the sole breadwinner. Um, but I know that I will not find fulfillment in that kind of life. Um, not because I don't love my children or not because their growth is not important to me, but because I personally have always needed um, something else as part right. of my, identity, you know, something to call my own. So every time I take on a new project or every time I'm approached to do something new, I always am excited, but also very afraid. Um, there's a huge part of me that's kind of like imposter syndrome where you wonder, you know, can or not? Can I actually do this or not? Because, 
you know, this, the subtext of that is obviously that, you know, but I didn't finish university, but I didn't, mm. you know, like I've never been to any of the big film festivals. I've never gone to Berninlale. I've never gone to Locano. Uh, my films have never been, my films have been in festivals, but uh, never one of the big ones. I've never done all these um, filmmaking workshops or clinics. So sometimes, yeah, I wonder if I'm the right person to do this. But then when you see the project through and you finally see your final cut and you finally have made it to the end, it's always really, really satisfying. And um, it's the, this is the kind of feeling that I think is worthy of constantly pursuing. And more importantly, when the people involved in the documentary see the finished product, or when people react to it, because we tend to take our documentaries to universities. Right. And there. So when young people also interact with us about the work that we've done, uh, be it good or bad, you know in some way that you are already kind of making a difference. You're not necessarily saving the world, but you are showing you know, the new generation a different perspective. You're showing them a different story, something that they've never would have seen otherwise you know, and never would have encountered otherwise. And whatever their reactions to that is, is already a successor. Because having someone react to something that you've put out there, be it good or bad, is already a success because it means that you managed to invoke some thought and feeling into another person. And that is why I continue doing what I do, even though it doesn't make me a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely fantastic. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you very much. This is great. That was Cheryl Bustaman, documentary filmmaker and a writer. If you missed any part of the conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.